Soil is a vital living ecosystem that supports plants, animals, and humans. It's teeming with billions of bacteria, fungi, and other microbes that are the foundation of a complex ecosystem. Viewing soil this way reflects a fundamental shift in the way we care for it. Today on the podcast, we're talking with Dr. Jerry Hatfield of Iowa State University. Welcome to the show, Jerry. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm Jerry Hatfield. I'm a retired uh, USDA ARS uh, laboratory director. I directed the uh, National Lab for Ag and the Environment uh, on the Iowa State campus for 31 years, and I retired in January of 2020. And since then, I've been working with uh, uh, producers across the, the United States uh, looking at how soil health uh, can be managed in their fields, but also how that impacts uh, productivity, uh, resilience, uh, all these other things that help them cope with uh, not only the, the changing climate, but how they can use that to uh, make more money in their operations and increase their profitability. Yeah, if we go back and we begin to look at, <clears throat> at agriculture and, and we look at this whole continuum from production through food, uh, I think that one of the things that the average person needs to understand is that we have a fragile agricultural system uh, that if we think about what we have to produce into the future, uh, looking at uh, the variety of foods and the food production and, and come back and, you know, we always use 2050 as kind of a marker out there. In 2050, uh, you know, if the population of the world is at 10 billion people, if Here's kind of the interesting statistic is that from uh, now until 2050, uh, you know, we have to produce almost as much food as we produced in the first 1500 years of cultivated agriculture. And so we're going to have a big ramp up in terms of what we want for food production uh, just to meet that demand uh, by people. And so, but that's going to be against a backdrop. And that backdrop is that we have this changing climate. We're going to have less soil resources. Uh, we've degraded our soils so that what that means is that our productivity per unit of land area is really going to have to increase and become more stable. Otherwise, we're going to have these massive food shortages uh, in just in the world population. So I think that's why the average person needs to understand that these dynamics that we talk about in agriculture are, are, are going to impact them, uh, not only from a quantity standpoint, but also a quality standpoint. How do we produce the quality of food that we need for food security? And so I think that those become the pieces that anybody needs to understand, that agriculture is supplying this food, but agriculture is facing some challenges in order to be able to do it. If you go back and you, you read the old literature, you know, the mouth of Siri and everything, you know, it talks about increasing population, increasing food. And, you know, we've, we've always had these scares, I'll put it this way. Um, and if you look at it uh, from that standpoint, when, in the 1700s when that first was there, well, can we feed the world of the future, you know, Agriculture came through, and, and we've always been able to, to take advantage of technology. I mean, you look at, at crop breeding, you look at crop technology. I'll just use corn as an example. I mean, corn production across the United States 
increases roughly at, at almost two bushels per acre per year. I mean, that's a pretty good testimony to uh, what we do with breeding and what we do with technology to continue to achieve that. But corn is probably the poster child <laughs> for technology. If you look at other crops, I mean, look at wheat, uh, for example, or, uh, or millet or sorghum that is used a lot around the world, we're not seeing those big increases in terms of productivity. Uh, you know, sometimes those yields are stagnant uh, just on because we're not investing into them. Uh, we've, uh, we're not close to their genetic potential yet, but we're not investing into those. So we maybe have to really think about how we invest in those other crops that are critical in the food supply uh, in all of this uh, to be able to continue to achieve that. But, you know, we've had these scares before. I'll give you another example of this. Uh, I got my PhD in 1975, uh, and one of the first projects that I worked with uh, on an international basis was uh, how agriculture was going to cope with the uh, cooling world. <laughs> uh, that was back in the time when we talked about glaciers reappearing. We had the, the icebergs and the glaciers on the front of Time magazine. Well, fast forward to, to 2010, I mean, now we're talking about uh, how agriculture is going to cope with the warming world. So, you know, I've worked on both sides of the issue <laughs> in terms of how agriculture is going to cope with this. And we've always come through, and I think we'll come through again because we understand more about how these pieces are coming together. Uh, you know, this whole soil plant atmosphere interaction uh, really puts us into the thing of saying, well, it's not just about the plant. <laughs> it's really about how we're managing the soil and how do we cope with the changing atmospheric conditions out there. In agriculture, we are both the producer and the consumer. Uh, you know, we, we all like to eat uh, from that standpoint. And I guess what I would do is explain this from a framework that we've been working on. And this framework is what we call genetics by environment by management. Uh, and you, you think about it very simplistically and, and uh, from an agricultural production point of view is that management is what we oversee. That's where we make our decisions uh, because the environment's what we're trying to overcome. We're trying to overcome uh, the weather variability. We're trying to overcome the soil variability within fields because we're trying to optimize our genetics. Uh, we really want the most out of the genetic potential that we have. And it really doesn't make any difference whether it's corn or bananas <laughs> or citrus or any other crop out there, we want to get the maximum return on that genetic potential. And I think this framework allows us to start looking at this system differently. Uh, and it says, so, so what sort of management decisions can we make? And these management decisions may be very dependent upon what the weather is or what the climate is for a particular area. They're obviously going to be very dependent upon what the soil conditions for any site are. Uh, and then you can begin to look and say, well, <clears throat> if I focus on the environment relative to soil, how can I improve that soil? <laughs> To, to make better use of management decisions. I mean, probably the obvious example in that is irrigation. Uh, so if we're short of water, you know, can we irrigate and overcome uh, that particular dynamic? Um, but if we're rain-fed agriculture and we're reliant on what that rainfall pattern is or the rainfall amounts, then we have to understand that improving that soil to enhance that capture of water coming from, from the sky 
uh, is another avenue in which we can begin to look at. So I think that here begins to develop a pretty interesting dynamic of how do we need to look forward in terms of agriculture. And how do you put that umbrella around this genetics by environment by management that says, you know, what are, what are opportunities? What are some of the risks that go with that? But then how can producers begin to rapidly pick that information up and apply it into their systems? If we come back and begin to look at this system, uh, I mean, if you just look at, uh, uh, I spend a lot of time looking at uh, National Ag Statistics Service data. I mean, if you look at uh, productivity levels within a county or within a state or even within the nation, I mean, if you just uh, plot those yields over time, you know, they go up and down because of, uh, of weather variation, they go up and down because of other things. And, and then to an individual producer, when we have that low yielding piece of that, they're going, you know, I'm not making money, <laughs> uh, you know, and so the question is, how do you stabilize those yields so that they don't have those big swings among years? Um, and looking at this, I mean, if you look at, uh, go back to irrigated production, uh, you know, if we could always manage the water, <laughs> uh, then we can, we can stabilize yields. There is still some variation even in irrigated uh, because of weather conditions that that water doesn't overcome. Um, but if we think about stabilizing those yields from a different viewpoint, and we look at uh, rain-fed agriculture, it says, you know, how do we, how do we have to improve our soil to, to be able to supply the water and the nutrients that that plant needs? Because producers would like nothing more <laughs> than to have a predictable return on what they invest into that crop every year. And that, that's where stability comes in. Uh, from a producer point of view, that's, you know, they really want to maximize that piece of the puzzle. From the consumer point of view, uh, you look at all of this from a standpoint that they would like to have a reliable supply of food going into that grocery store, uh, or the reliable, uh, whether it's fresh fruits or vegetables or bread or anything else. You know, they don't like to hear about shortages. <laughs> uh, they don't like to hear the scare tactic that, well, maybe there's the grocery store shelves are going to be empty, uh, you know, for lots of different reasons. So they want stability in terms of what they can go to the grocery store and, and, and pick up and eat and everything. So, I mean, I, stability is kind of an interesting dynamic because if you look at it from the production point of view, you're going to look at it from one perspective. If you look at it from the consumer point of view, you're going to see it from a different perspective. But at the end of the day, <laughs> Everybody wants certainty. <laughs> That's what stability is, is everybody wants certainty. Uh, nobody likes surprises. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, nobody likes change either. But, you know, it's, in terms of surprises, you know, we want to be ensured that what we're eating and what we want to eat is going to be there for us when we do it. Um, and the producer, stability is not only from production, but they also want to know that there's going to be stability in terms of demand. Uh, that's out there as well, is that somebody's going to buy that product that I produce uh, along the way too. If you come back and look and say the environmental impacts of agriculture, uh, and you look at all this, and, and this is this cross-section between this changing climate and, and variability that's going on that we have out there and, and what it means for our production capacity uh, as well as the uh, 
the environmental consequences of this. And you think about uh, legacy. Why do we see wind erosion? In fact, it's, it's just not isolated to the, to the northern Great Plains. Uh, we see a lot of wind erosion across Iowa uh, and the Midwest these days. There are a lot of, of uh, very dark colored snowbanks <laughs> uh, along the roads because uh, it, we, we have uh, a very fragile soil surface and we don't, we're not covering that soil at the end of the season. If you, if you look at this, and, and what I mean by legacy is uh, what we're going through right now with uh, uh, limited rainfall, uh, we limit the crop production this year, we're not going to return a lot of residue back to that field, uh, and then we'll end up being very susceptible the next season. Because the other piece of this in terms of climate is that we're seeing more extremes. I mean, uh, these extremes are not only, we always think about these extremes relative to precipitation, but these extremes are also in terms of, of fronts and uh, wind patterns and, and wind velocity. Uh, you know, we've had some very uh, large uh, uh, wind events across Iowa. That we had the ratio last year, but that's, that's kind of an anomaly. But we're seeing uh, fronts that move through in which we have 30 to 40 mile an hour winds uh, across. And, and this occurred a lot of days this spring. Uh, you know, and rapidly drying out the soil, blowing that soil around. Uh, you know, we had a lot of dust in the air uh, even here in the early spring when, when producers were doing some tillage operations. So I think those become the backdrop uh, that uh, we, we need to realize that we live in an unstable world. <laughs> We live in an unstable world environmentally, and, and we're seeing the consequences of that. Uh, we're seeing it, um, in, in, as you mentioned, with wind erosion. We're also seeing it uh, you know, across the Midwest this year because of the spotty rainfall pattern. Uh, we have areas in which uh, uh, we had a site the other day that had five inches in less than six hours. Uh, you know, and, and, you know, we just can't absorb that into our soil, so we had a lot of runoff. We had some flash flooding alerts. Uh, you know, we see those consequences as well, and then we see uh, erosion. We see runoff uh, just because we we can't store that. We can't stack water up <laughs> uh, if it's liquid. We can stack water up if it's snow, but the, it's hard to stack water up if it's liquid, and so it runs off and it carries soil with it and everything. Yeah, I think we we need to. Uh, step back and, and look at agriculture as a whole uh, and, and think about agriculture because we've, we do have a, a pretty interesting dynamic. We've, we do have uh, uh, parts of uh, agriculture that have rapidly adopting new technologies. Uh, you know, they're using cover crops, they're reducing, using reduced tillage, they're, they're doing everything in terms of uh, of improved nutrient management. And then you've got other parts of agriculture that are still intensively tillage, uh, have dark soils at the spring uh, because we've, we've incorporated all those residues. And, and you look at this and say, well, who's right and who's wrong? Uh, I'm not sure that uh, we can make it that black and white. Uh, but if we look at it from a perspective of, uh, 
of the future. As one producer uh, defines sustainability for me one time, he says, you know, in my definition of sustainability is everybody wants a future. <laughs> and that stuck with me all those years in saying, you know, when we think about sustainability, it's really about the future. It's not about here, it's about them. Um, and I think as we look in agriculture, is what does it take for agriculture to have a future uh, and have that future that does these different endpoints. And I think sometimes that we think about agriculture as we've talked about from a production point of view. What's agriculture going to produce uh, to, to make sure that we have a stable food supply? But also I think agriculture, this changing definition of agriculture today, this changing definition in which agriculture is now viewed as much more of an ecological or part of the ecological system uh, in which we're looking at not only what agriculture does for production but what agriculture does for the environment. Uh, our, this, this discussion about dust and, and uh, water erosion and everything else is part of that puzzle but then I also think about uh, what do we mean for clean water, uh, you know, in terms of uh, having that clean water supply for people to drink because in addition to food we all like to drink water and we need to be drinking water and all of this and then we all want clean water as part of that puzzle. The other piece of this is habitat uh, for uh, pollinators and habitat for wildlife as, as, that, as part of that ecosystem or even uh, part of that landscape for uh, for cattle production uh, you know as, as part of that agricultural system out there and so I think that agriculture when we start talking about it today and we talk about this stability as we go into the future is that that stability needs to to be broadened in saying not only do we want stable production we want to ensure that agriculture is becomes part of that stable environment that we want uh, that we all want to live in a healthy environment and so that stability takes a much broader landscape uh, than just production but thinking about all the ecosystem services that go with that and I know that ecosystem services is a term that everybody throws around <laughs> uh, but in reality uh, we need to be thinking much more at agriculture in that ecological context, that we're all living in a pretty complex environment and agriculture is one part of that moving piece. Oh, I, I agree wholeheartedly. I, I, I think this is an exciting <laughs> time for agriculture. Uh, one of the things that, that I tell people is I think agriculture today is, is poised for the next revolution. And you know, we had the green revolution when we talked about how do we put genetics and, and nutrients together that Borlaug, uh, you know, promoted and everything else. But I think that, that what we have right now is, a, is another uh, beginning of a revolution. Uh, and we, we, this revolution is really much more on how do we take the information that we have or the data that we have and put it into information that that can help production agriculture that can help production agriculture meet these simultaneous goals of not only production but environmental quality uh, quality of food uh, that goes along with that uh, you know I think that too often we spend all our time talking about quantity of food as we go to the future but I think we need to be talking about the quality of that uh, from that standpoint and so 
I'm excited about the future of agriculture. <laughs> I'm excited about the opportunities that exist for us. I mean, the tools that we have today. Um, you look at all the different things that we can bring together. Uh, and you look at an individual field and what information a producer has. I mean, he can, he can have soil maps that are digitized. Um, he, can, he can have the technology to be able to differentially apply fertilizers or seed across that field. Um, you've got all this in terms of remote sensing. If you can look at that field almost at any point within the season. Uh, you've got all these monitors on tractors uh, and combines and all of this. I think our opportunity is how do we bring that data together to create even more information that, that takes those data points and makes it that opportunity for him as he goes forward. Uh, how do you begin to bring this together in different ways that are out there? I mean, people talk about machine learning, they talk about an artificial intelligence. You got all of these other aspects. You got sensors that we attach to plants now that, that do all sorts of things. So that revolution is probably much more of an information revolution uh, that, that we're talking about and, and how do we put it together and, and make it happen. Yeah, who thought carbon was this exciting, you know? <laughs> you know, I think that, you know, all of a sudden, you know, we, we have this, this full-blown attention to, to carbon. And, you know, you look at this and, and I think that uh, for uh, the consumer, <laughs> out there, I, I think they have this kind of uh, interesting view of carbon. They think that uh, when we talk about carbon sequestration into soils, uh, they think that that CO2 magically goes from the atmosphere into the soil. Uh, they don't have to real, they don't realize that, that the plant is the intermediate, <laughs> that we don't get carbon into the soil without that plant. Uh, and one of the fascinating things that, that we've discovered in the past few years is what is the real role of that, that plant and not only taking carbon uh, out of the atmosphere and putting it down in the soil, but then uh, what goes out of that root system uh, as exudates and sugars that are feeding the microbial system that, that further spur that, that carbon sequestration or that converting that carbon into uh, organic matter and all that. So I think we've always known these pieces of it. <laughs> But now I think we're understanding here is a, a, a system that here's all the moving parts. These are how things behave. And this is the benefit of them uh, in terms of the overall process. And so it's not just about carbon because you got to link carbon with water. You got to link carbon with light. You got to link carbon with all the other nutrients that are out there. And so it's a very complex puzzle but we're beginning to understand how those pieces are fitting together and how they're interacting and, and how they can be managed as part of our agricultural system, uh, going back to the whole idea of cover crops. Uh, you know, that cover crop at the beginning of the, the growing season and the end of the growing season just expands our capacity to, to take CO2 out of the air and put it into the soil that, that's beneficial things. For the future of cover crops, um, you know, I think we're, we're discovering what critical role they play. Uh, and, and coming back to this is that um, uh, we look at this system and 
we, we need to be keeping cover on that ground all the time. Go back and look at, at native prairie systems. You know, they've always have cover on that uh, and, and how, how that soil responds to uh, extreme weather events as opposed to a cultivated field. And that cover crop is a way of mimicking this increasing the length of cover that we have out there. Uh, I think we're also going to see that uh, cover crops can be done quite beneficially west of the Missouri River as well as east of the Missouri River. We always thought, well, you don't have enough rainfall in, in, uh, in the northern Great Plains to use cover crops. The producers are discovering how beneficial that are as part of their system uh, in all of this. So I think we need to understand that this role of cover crops in terms of being able to not only protect that surface but to improve that soil to to actually protect uh, that growing crop in between because a lot of times you go back to this cover crop is that uh, here's an example from Iowa this spring is that uh, we had a frost in, in mid-May and, and when people had planted into cover crops is that those crops weren't frost damaged <laughs> because that cover crop was protecting them. But if they were on bare ground out there or with no residue, they had enormous uh, frost damage and had to replant. So, you know, here's an advantage and as well as protecting that, uh, that seedling from the wind erosion events or the extreme wind events. Uh, I discovered that in West Texas uh, a long time ago when I was in Lubbock. Uh, we had wheat uh, and then we planted cotton into that wheat stubble. Is that uh, Lubbock is notorious for dust storms and blowing dust and, and uh, wiping out cotton crops just because of that cutting sand that's moving across. But cotton that was within that standing wheat stubble uh, didn't suffer any damage uh, from that. So I think that we're, we're going to see the value of, um, of using cover crops as part of this. I think we're also going to discover the value of more diverse crop rotations. Uh, and you start thinking about this as that maybe cover crops are a way to transition us into more diversity. Uh, you know, and, and thinking about how do we really optimally use that landscape, uh, not only for, for production, but also for all these other uh, pieces in the environment that we want. Oh, I, I agree wholeheartedly. I, th I think that one of the aspects that agriculture needs to do, and we talked about agriculture as part of the solution and the opportunities for agriculture. I think one of the opportunities that we're missing in agriculture is how are we explaining agriculture to the consumer? <laughs> how are we really getting that message out that, you know, here's, here's what we're trying to produce, <laughs> here's what we're trying to do for you, uh, and in terms of improving that quality of, of that production, uh, that quantity of that production, that stability of that production, things that we've talked about. But Agriculture is really working towards uh, improving the overall environment, just not at the farm, but everywhere. <laughs> and I think that that's a message that uh, maybe agriculture needs to take and use even more forcefully. I won't say push it down people's throats, <laughs> but saying, you know, here's, here's what agriculture is about. Here's what we're trying to do. And, and, and I think that we're missing that opportunity to explain agriculture to the consumer out there. Yeah, I, I, I'm always struck by 
uh, agritourism. <laughs> you know, it, it, where people go view agricultural systems and everything else. But I think that I think we need to think differently than that. Is and and getting uh, school kids uh, K through 12. Uh, to realize where their food comes from, expose them to agriculture uh, so that they can see that, that that milk that's on the thing it just doesn't magically appear on that, that there's a, a cow and everything else had to happen along the way. Uh, even where their bread comes from, that uh, there was a wheat farmer <laughs> that was involved in producing that wheat initially uh, that went into that bread. I don't think people have a lot of connection <laughs> with their food supply uh, and, and the whole process that goes along. Very people are, uh, they don't understand how, what it takes to, to grow that crop uh, and then what it takes to deliver that crop to them as well. And I think that even videos that could help explain, <laughs> here's, here's the path of a bushel of wheat <laughs> all the way to a loaf of bread could be quite uh, beneficial to people. Uh, you know, what's it take? And I think the more we can do to educate people about the role that agriculture plays in their everyday life <laughs> uh, could be very beneficial to, to agriculture, but also beneficial to the consumer. Uh, you know, we see that a lot of questioning going on in terms of, you know, what's the quality of that product. I think there's awareness by the consumer out there that, you know, I want quality food. Uh, I'm not sure that they understand what it takes to, to produce that quality food along the way. They just know that that's a demand that they have. Well, and I, and I think that, uh, you know, we, we talk about the opportunities of ag. I think, I think people have a fascination <laughs> with where their food comes from. Uh, and would like to understand that more. And I think we need to be giving them that opportunity uh, to see that. Uh, I mean, gardens, uh, you know, I, we have tomatoes in our backyard. <laughs> and my wife is always fascinated by how big those tomato plants get <laughs> in terms of growing out there, in terms of trellising them up and, and things like this. And so, it's increased her awareness of what it takes to produce that, but also <laughs> the dynamic of that, that production system along the way. Yeah. And so I think that in, in agriculture, uh, anything that we can do to help explain agriculture to people and, and the uh, dynamics, everything from, uh, you know, what is, what's it take to to produce that seed <laughs> uh, that's then grown to that produces their crop. Uh, you know, a lot of a lot of uh, people don't even understand where that seed comes from in the seed packet they buy in the in the hardware store, or the garden store that they they plant in their garden. Uh, and even that simple is not a simple process, but there's a lot of dynamics that go on even in that area. Agriculture is important because we all want to eat. <laughs> I mean, we can be as simple as that uh, in a statement, but uh, we all want uh, secure, safe food supplies. You know, how many times has the as the as the uh, as the consumer gotten in panic because we've had a recall <laughs> of uh, of lettuce, or we've had a recall of produced uh, processed meats, or we've had a recall, and and that sends a panic <laughs> through the consumer in all of this, and they go, well, is my food safe to eat uh, in all of this? And 
you know, and, and we're asking them are asking more questions now about uh, what's the role of agriculture with uh, these harmful algal blooms uh, as in, in lakes. Uh, you know, is that is that directly attributed to agriculture? What's the quality of the drinking water uh, that's going on in all of this? And so, I think that there's an in, there's an increasing awareness uh, by the consumer of of the negative impacts uh, that are somewhat associated with agriculture. But I think that the the important piece of this is the positive aspects of what agriculture brings. Uh, that we do bring a, a secure food supply. We, we bring a, a safe food supply. Uh, and I think that what we have to do is really understand that at this point in time, agriculture as we go forward, yes, has some challenges, but also has some opportunities of how we can begin to uh, improve our quality as well as our quantity of, of anything that we produce uh, and that we can make sure that, that uh, anybody in the future is well fed and well nourished. Oh, I, I think there's a positive look, outlook on agriculture is that uh, we, we, we have this capacity in, in agriculture to produce. Uh, you know, you go back and think about where we've come in agriculture, we continue to improve this. I think that, that we have the capacity in agriculture, just like we do all of the other aspects of what we live in, is to take advantage of uh, an opportunity of, of technology and information and put it together that, that will do this. And I'm, I'm optimistic that uh, agriculture has a, has a bright future. Uh, it has a bright future because everybody wants to eat. We just got to figure out how to get there. More analysis of their operation than any anybody. Um, and you got, you got a whole different lens to look through. Well, and you got other ones, uh, the Andersons in uh, Indiana, uh, the 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 brother that's run is a is another MBA, but he's you know not only looking at the books but also contracting grain and and looking at the markets. Entirely different perspective. Uh, on that as well. So I think there are a lot of these pockets of agriculture. Uh, you know, Jay, I was at, when we were in Bismarck, <laughs> uh, one of the things that struck me was how innovative some of those producers were in, in South Dakota and North Dakota with all of the, the multiple species that they were growing and then harvesting them all simultaneously and then separating the seed out. Uh, I've got some guys in Kansas that want to try that now too. So, <laughs> you know, looking saying, you know, there's, there's a lot of opportunity for us, but we got to start thinking, let's, let's grow something different. Let's try something different. Uh, I think, I think a lot of farm, I mean, you look at, look at farm machinery. Uh, you talk about the innovation. Uh, a lot of a lot of farm machines, a lot of machines that are now today were were built originally in somebody's shop, <laughs> mm. uh, you know, because that's where the innovation was coming from. Thinking back over my career uh, in all of this, and and uh, my career has kind of had an interesting path uh, from a standpoint that uh, I spent eight years in at uh, University of California Davis uh, in the Central Valley of California, looking at uh, at production uh, agriculture as well as its interaction with the environment uh, and, and that. Uh, 
you know, and even in California, uh, we've seen a massive change in terms of, uh, of production agriculture and, and now with a focus uh, looking at, at, at what role does soil play. It's not just a matter of adding water and nutrients in there, but really how do you improve that, that soil in terms of uh, regenerating agriculture. Uh, so we, we've seen, I've seen that occur because it's still involved with the, the California system. Uh, if you look at uh, my next stop was in uh, West Texas in Lubbock, uh, you know, and, and when I went there in the early 80s, uh, you know, it was basically cotton and sorghum uh, as production, but, you know, producers begin to change uh, from that standpoint, and there's a lot of potatoes and onions growing in the high plains of Texas now. Uh, the, the irrigation water is used to produce those crops, and so, you know, there, that's an innovation. We even see, you know, grapes coming into West Texas as well. <coughs> and then uh, across Iowa here, uh, you know, I've seen that, uh, you know, I got my PhD here and so I got, there was 14 years from the time that I got my PhD until I came back. <coughs> but we saw across this whole region uh, a much more of an interest in uh, improved management. Uh, and we see uh, now in the past 10 years, there's been a monumental increase in uh, and what soil health means. Uh, producers are realizing as a, they can improve uh, their soil, but the part of that that uh, they're now beginning to understand is as they improve their soil, they're beginning to reduce those parts of the field that have always been low yielding, <laughs> uh, that can improve the profitability within that part of the field, they can improve the yields in that part of the field. So we're seeing the much more interest in saying, how do I manage this field differently uh, and, and put a whole different spin on what precision agriculture is. Uh, you know, you've got other ones because here's again an aspect of technology of uh, utilizing differential planting rates uh, across fields and so changing that plant population so that uh, you don't have the high populations in the, in the parts of the field that can't support it uh, in terms of water and nutrients and, and, and putting a higher population in the parts of the field that do. And, and so here's, here's another aspect that I've seen a lot of adoption of technology, uh, probably not as much as, as we'd all like to see uh, in terms of this, but I think that producers are asking different questions today than they were five years ago, and, and part of those revolve around uh, what is what is soil health and what's it mean to me? Uh, how does this impact uh, my operation and what can I do to achieve it? Uh, you know, what changes do I have to make uh, in my system? Uh, what's the aspect if I change and, and add cover crops? Uh, you know, what how do I manage that cover crop? Uh, how do I begin to put it into a system? Uh, how do I manage that crop that I'm going to plant into the cover crop uh, differently? Uh, you know, and we haven't talked about what this means for uh, insects and diseases and weeds. Uh, you know, I think there becomes a different aspect of, of this whole dynamic that we see changes going on and that we need to understand that uh, those are part of that production complex and how we manage that as part of the system becomes an, another uh, opportunity, <laughs> but it also becomes an area in which we need to be thinking about uh, 
how do we use the best technology and information to, uh, to alleviate those stresses as part of the system? You know, I, I think in, in, uh, in closing, uh, I guess what I, is that I think the future is bright for agriculture. Uh, we have some challenges. Uh, I think we need to realize that we have challenges in agriculture. But I think the opportunities that exist in agriculture far outweigh the challenges. Uh, we have to realize that we, we have a different role today uh, that in agriculture. It's not just about what we produce, but it's about how we uh, protect the environment. Uh, how do we produce that quality food supply? How do we produce that nutritious food supply? There's multiple endpoints in agriculture. And as we begin to realize that we have the opportunity to meet all of those simultaneously and bring agriculture into a way that makes sure that we do have a secure future uh, for, for our food supply and a, and a secure future for the human population around the world. The Soil Health Podcast is a production of the Minokin Farm. Minokin Farm exists to foster natural resource education and systems approach conservation. This 150-acre demonstration farm, located just east of Bismarck, North Dakota, was established in 2009 and draws people from all over the world. The farm is owned and operated by Burley County Soil Conservation District, which has an office in Bismarck, North Dakota. Additional financial and technical support is provided by the North Dakota Department of Health Water Quality Division, Natural Resources Conservation Service, and the U.S. Department of Agriculture.